0: Last week, when we had all of our kiddos uh, in here, we began a, a two-part sermon series called Three Times. That one was Three Times Part 1. Today is Three Times Part 2. Um, and the, uh, the, um, the crux of this is Peter. So last week, if you remember right, we talked about the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times. And we looked all through that. What does that mean? All that kind of stuff. And today, we're going to look at another time in Peter's life shortly after that time, when he denied Jesus three times, in which something happens to him three times. And it is both the breaking point for him and also the rebuilding point. I personally think it is the single most pivotal moment of Peter's life because it set Peter up when he chose correctly to become one of the two biggest fixtures of christianity once jesus had had ascended into heaven and set the church on the course of its history leading up till now let's read about it it's john chapter 21 and there's only a couple of verses that i'm going to read and then i'm going to tell you the whole the whole story john chapter 21 uh, and it's up there on the screens as well john 21 verses 15 through 17 it reads so when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Let's do a little backstory, shall we? A little backstory. So, of course, we know Peter denies Jesus the three times, but he does not leave the disciples at that point. Because none of the other disciples know this has happened. Jesus is dead. Peter's still hanging out with the disciples, probably going. Big blunder, but none of them know about it. As long as I keep my mouth shut, I can hang out with my new group of friends that I've had for the past three years, and no one is going to be any the wiser. Have you ever done that when you've done something wrong? You're like, listen, no one else knows about this. As long as I keep my cool, my composure, it's going to be fine. Hopefully, you haven't done that recently, but so that Sunday morning, Mary and a few others run to the tomb. They have the encounter with the angels. We read in one of the Gospels, they actually see Jesus. They don't recognize him at first. They call him a gardener. They're like, what's the gardener doing here? And they're like, oh, crap, that's Jesus. Pretty cool. They go back to the disciples and the other gathered there, right? The other followers of Jesus who were not his original 12 disciples, now 11 because Judas is dead. And tell them all that's happened. And Peter has an extreme moment of clarity. Well, not quite yet, actually. He takes off with John to get to the tomb. John has to write in his, in his uh, epistle, which he, or his, his gospel, which he does here in this book. We're not going to read it here, but that he makes it first. Great for John. He's like 21 years old. Peter is at least 33. Congratulations. You outran somebody 10 to 15, maybe 20 years older than you. Good job, John. Good for you, buddy. Make sure you write that bit down. However, there's one big difference between the two. It is true that John got there first, but he waits outside the tomb. Peter, right? We talked last week about how Peter is impulsive. He's ADHD. He does what he's going to do and everything else be darned, right? He doesn't stop running. He bursts into the tomb and is met with nothing. No angels, no body, no linens, no anything. It's empty. And in that moment, Peter has a very clear moment of, oh crap, the gig is up. How many of you have had that sort of experience before, right? I'm going to get away with this. Oh no, I'm not. And Peter has a very distinct choice in this moment. He can run or he can face the but he needs to face and become better for it. What does Peter decide to do? He runs. Peter's scared. Not only has he denied Jesus three times, and then Jesus was killed, Jesus has just proven he is God by rising from the dead, and Peter said, I don't know him. Not a good look. Not a good place for Peter to be in. So Peter runs, and he runs to the one thing he has always been good at. He goes back to fishing. It's what he was, right? Peter is one of the ones in which Jesus says, you are a, you, you, you a fishermen, but I will make you a fisher of men. That's, Peter's one of the ones he says that to. And Peter goes, well, I failed at being a fisher of men. I'll go back to fishing. And not only does he do that, he takes some of the other disciples with him. Never mistake this. Peter is a leader. He might be impulsive. He might have his issues. But Peter was a leader. He was not a follower. And he takes some of the other disciples with him. Let's go. So they go fishing. They spend all night fishing. And they catch nothing. Maybe he's not that good a fisherman. Or maybe God's got another plan. Spends all night fishing. Doesn't catch anything. And then dawn breaks. And he sees somebody On the shoreline, and the the guy is like, "What are you doing? Fishing. Cast your nets to the other side." Now, how many of you would say you are proficient at something, right? Whether it's music, woodworking, tech, whatever, right? Anything in this world, you are at least proficient at something. Wow, there's a lot of modest people in here. For those of us that have been honest and feel that we are proficient at something, if somebody who you don't think knows anything about what you are doing, comes up to you and says, why don't you do this? What's your response to them? Exactly. You're going to laugh at them. Why? I would have never dreamed to go to my mechanic and say, well, have you tried loosening that bolt? What does that bolt do? I'm terrible with cars. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than that. I'm smart enough to know I know nothing about cars. I can change my oil, and even that I pay for my mechanic to do because it's just easier. Peter probably rolls his eyes, but he goes, fine, I haven't caught anything all night. What's one last cast over the other side of the boat going to do? He casts his net over the other side of the boat, and um, the catch, the haul, is so large, the boat starts to sink. Boats aren't supposed to do that. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what a boat is supposed to do. But there was so much weight added into this boat, it starts to sink. And Peter immediately knows who it is that's on the shore. Because there's only one person that could make that happen. He, being impulsive, jumps out of the boat and starts swimming towards Jesus. It doesn't say this in there, but I like to think, because everybody else started rowing the boat towards him, I like to think that the boat got there first. Just because I think it would be funny. Here's Peter, who's like, I gotta get to Jesus, and he jumps out of the boat and starts swimming, and then like the other disciples in the boat, as they're, as they're rowing, just like laugh at him as they pass him. Should have stayed in the boat, we're gonna beat you there. Doesn't matter. They have breakfast, it's this great thing, and Peter is probably at this point, right? Because Peter's a real person. So at this point, Peter's probably thinking, Jesus being nice to me, one, maybe he doesn't even know what I've done, which is a stupid idea. But two, even if he does know, I'm going to get away with it. How many of you, either as a kid or if you are a parent now, right? And I don't need to show of hands for this, but maybe think back to a time. Um, Thought you were getting away with something. Or knew your kid thought they were getting away with something. And you're like, oh boy, here we go, I'm going good. He does not know. I have covered this up beautifully. He's not gonna know. And then we pick up where I read today. And we have this encounter in which Peter's life is forever changed. If you grabbed a note sheet, if you grabbed a bulletin and you have a note sheet, number two on your note sheet, that was all number one, by the way. Number two on your note sheet, a callback, a callback. Jesus asks him three separate times, do you love me? That was essentially the same question that Peter was asked. Now, it was, do you know him? But what Peter was saying was, I don't know, I'm going love him. I'm good. I don't know this guy. It's the same basic question. I want to draw your attention to a few things. Number one, what does Jesus call him during his entire encounter? Simon. Why does he call him Simon? That's his birth name. Jesus renames him Peter when he meets him. He says, you will be known as Cephas. In our our language, Peter means the rock. So why does he call him Simon here? Because Peter has gone back to being Simon. Peter was a fisher of men. Simon was a fisher of fish. So Peter decided, I'm not Peter anymore. I'm Simon again. I'm going back to what I was. For whatever reason, I'm scared. I'm not good enough. Jesus is going to want me. It doesn't matter. He is no longer Peter. And Jesus goes, fine. You don't want to be Peter? You're not Peter. You are Simon. And I will call you that. Peter's a smart man. I bet he recognized immediately what Jesus was calling him. It doesn't say, but I bet he did. And that was probably the first hint to Peter that all is not well in the world for him. Peter was meant to be the rock. He was not being a rock at that point point. and in fact he had led people astray he had led people away from jesus at that point he had done the exact opposite of what god had called him to do so jesus calls him simon because that's who he is he's not peter anymore he's simon and he asks him a very very simple question with profound implications do you love me and Peter goes, Yes, God, you know I love you. I messed up. I was an idiot. But you, you know I love you. And what does Peter, or what does is, what is God, Jesus, here ask him to do? Be Peter. I called you to be Peter. I did not call you to be Simon. So do it. Tend my flock. Tend my flock. Shepherd my sheep. Be Peter, who I made you to be, I called you to be. Peter doesn't get it. Simon, whatever, right? He doesn't get it. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John. Now he throws—he's throwing that in his face too. You're not even my child anymore. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Do what I called you to do, and then he hits him a third time love me and Peter is grieved in his heart and notice his answer changes he adds a qualifier at the front of it you know all things Jesus knows that Peter does love him he knows about Peter's remorse and also he knows about Peter's doubt Peter has had one major test of his faith to this point and he failed miserably. Getting out of the boat—that's great. He could see Jesus. That's easy, right? When he did that, calling Jesus the Christ to his face—that's easy. God wasn't. Jesus wasn't right there with him to make sure, right? It's like when you're a kid, and the kid, the the, the parent goes, "No more, no more um, um, uh, cookies." Sometimes I can't think of words. No more cookies. And while the parent's there. You don't try to get one. That would be dumb. I mean, maybe you do when you're young, but you know. But as you grow older, you realize that would be dumb. But you're tempted when they're not there. When the authority is no longer there to tell you, uh -uh uh-uh-uh, or to remind you. This is the first time Peter is facing a major test without Jesus, literally by his side. And he fails miserably miserably. Jesus knows that Peter doesn't feel worthy, ready, or any of that. And here's the kicker. He's not. And he never would be. Church, God does not call you because you are ready. God does not call you because you are worthy or deserving. God calls you because he has decided to use you. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Peter, who would go on to be one of the two central pillars of Christianity in the early church, the other being Paul, was never worthy of the calling God placed on his life, ever. Peter, who would go on, we read this in Acts a couple of months ago, to over the course of two sermons, get 5,000 people saved. 5,000 people in two sermons was never ready, was never worthy. But from this moment on, he was willing. He was willing. Let's apply this to our lives, shall we? Let's apply this to our lives, shall we? Church, let me give you some uh, encouragement this morning. Jesus goes after you. Notice, Jesus didn't go to the room and say, when Peter comes to me, I will accept him back. But until then, no. How many of you guys do that sort of thing with people? I've done it before, right? Until they come to me, I'll forgive them. But until they come to me, not doing it. Sorry, that's not forgiveness. It's not how Jesus would do it. How do I know? Because every time Jesus went and found them, Jesus went to them. Whether you are an unsafe person whom he is running after or you have accepted him and you've just started to turn your back on him. some he's running after you, waiting on the shoreline, saying, just turn around. Come on back. I'm right here. I'm right here. Here's the thing, right? This is a huge thing with Peter, right? Denying him three times. You deny Jesus every single time you sin. Every time. Every single time. And so we like to be like, I would never deny Jesus, yet you sinned. You denied him. Sometimes in front of everyone, sometimes on your own. The fact of the matter is that all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. Maybe you're a Christian, right? Maybe you've been saved, and so you don't have to worry about heaven, right? That's locked in. Life and being a Christian is so much more than that. But be encouraged because Jesus is going after you this morning. He's going after you. Secondly, he wants you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. If Peter in this moment had gone, I love you, but not enough to do that. Not enough to go be Peter again. Being Simon is easier. I'm just a fisherman with a wife. That's it. This is easier than what you have called me to do. I don't want it. Peter would end up dead, crucified upside down. He would give his life for Christ. Being a fisherman was easier. If he had done that, God would have called somebody else. And if God is asking you to do something, whatever it is, and you say, no, God, I'm not going to do it. Eventually, he'll go, fine. I will use somebody else. Somebody else will be willing. And I will use them. And you will miss out on some of the greatest blessings of your life. But I'll use somebody else. He does not need you and he never has. That should comfort you. Because if you're serving a God who needs you, stop serving that God. Find a different one. Because If a God needs me, it's not a very powerful God. But it also should come for you because he wants you. He wants you. Why would he want me? I'm a short, fat, stubborn, angry, rude son of a gun. Why would God want me? Yet he does. And he wants you as well despite of all of your many, many imperfections. Now, here's the thing. Just like with Peter, he didn't say, it's fine, Peter, remain Simon, but I'll use you. Come on. No, no, he had to become Peter again. God does not want you to stay where you're at. You can't go, this is who I am, God, use me this way. No, 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 you're supposed to be coming more Christ-like throughout your entire life. Every day, you're supposed to be becoming more Christ-like. He doesn't leave you where you're at, but he does want you. So let me wrap this up with a practical application. Not one you're going to probably take with you and do over the course of the week or something like that. It is Easter Sunday. And Easter is all about salvation. That's what it's all about. And this whole story comes down to salvation. He saved Peter from himself. Do I think Peter was a Christian in that sense? Yeah, I think he was still. I just think he was in the midst of running away, as we all have been, as we all probably will be at some point again. I'll deal with that in a second. Let's deal with the first half. This morning, whether it's in this sermon or the little mini one I gave during uh, communion and stuff like that, right, or the songs that we sang, whatever, the whole crux of today has been, do you know Jesus? not do you know him up here, right? All of you know who Jesus is. There's historical fact that Jesus lived, walked, died in the way that the Bible lays out that he died. There is historical fact for all of it. You cannot deny the existence of the human person, Jesus, and be intelligent, quite frankly. However, You can deny the existence of the 100% man, 100% God, Jesus, who did not just live and die, but rose again for you and me, for our sins. It is the only way to heaven. You can deny that. You can. But I implore you this morning that what Jesus went through was not just for me. It was for you too. And if you have never, whether you're listening at home, listening on our podcast, or you're sitting in a pew right now, I cannot implore you enough to make a choice that will change the course of your life forever. It will be harder. Peter's life got exponentially harder from the moment Jesus said, let me make you a fisher of men until the moment he died. Peter's life was exponentially harder than it was before that. No doubt about it. It will be hard. It will be grueling. There will be sleepless nights. There will be moments of tears, of pain, I'm not denying any of that. There will be trial and tribulation. I'm not denying any of that. I am saying that it's worth it. Because there are also blessings beyond your imagination. First off and foremost is heaven. It's the only way there. And if you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I want to implore you to do it. You don't have to pray a special prayer. That's not how it works. You could pray the prayer a billion times and never become a Christian. However, the prayer does kind of help us to articulate out a heart change that's happened. The Bible says you must believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just that he lived, not just that he died, not even just that he rose again. The demons believe that. You must believe he is Lord and Savior and that you need that. And that you must confess with your mouth that he is Lord. That's why we do the whole prayer thing. Because it just helps us, right? And in a few moments, I am going to pray. And there will be a portion of that prayer. And I'll make it known. And if you have not ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you and implore you this morning to do it. There is no greater choice you could have ever made. Secondly, for those of us in here who have already accepted Christ, whether it was two minutes ago or 80 years ago, doesn't matter. I guarantee you there is something in your life with which you are running away from God from. I guarantee you. How do I know? You're human, just like me. And I implore you as well this morning. He is standing on the shoreline. It's going to be a tough conversation, no doubt about it. You don't just get to go, oh, God doesn't know. It'll be fine. It's going to be a hard conversation, but it'll be better for it if you do it now than later when he forces the conversation on you. And there's a liberty and a freedom. When he asks you, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Then turn around and start doing what I asked you to do. There's something in each of our lives. There is. And if you're not sure what it is, ask him. He'll let you know. He will. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for Easter, for the cross, for what you did for us. So incredible. I can't, we can't even articulate, we can't put into words what it means for us. Because it is everything. It is our hope, it is our life, it is everything. Father, I pray this morning that if there's someone here or listening or whatever that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would believe it that they need you. Except they need a Savior. Believe that you are that God, that King, that Savior, and make you Lord of their life. And that they would repeat, whether out loud or inside, right? Repeat after me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I am in need of a Savior. And I know what you did for me. Come into my life. Be my King. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I understand there's going to be hardships but I want to follow after you. Be my king. Forgive my sins. I'm so sorry, God. It's in the name of your son that I pray, Jesus. Amen. And amen.